Father, we just want to thank you for your blessings upon us, for the work you're doing in our lives and for our church. We just thank you for answering prayers and, Lord, allowing us to pray for one another, the privilege of expecting you to answer our prayers. Lord, we thank you for all that you are and all that you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Because Thursday night, I want us to start uh, the Wine and the Bible series. And uh, so, for the next several Sunday nights, or as, as the Lord leads, um, I'm going to keep going on with some of these biblical words. Uh, I don't know if you're enjoying it, but I, I certainly am. And several people said they really needed the one on hope. And, and um, there's just so many great words in the Bible. And tonight... Uh, I'd like us to look at another one of those words, and uh, let's turn to Psalm 62, if we would. Psalm 62, and the word tonight is expectation. How many of you have ever been disappointed in expectations? You, you hoped, you expected something, and it didn't work out the way that <coughs> you, you wanted it to work. And um, let's just uh, get the uh, definition out of the way. Uh, Expectation is the action of waiting. The action or state of waiting for or awaiting something. uh, Now only with the mixture of sense, it says. Uh, Expectant waiting. Uh, The action of mentally looking for someone to come forecasting something to happen or anticipating something to be received. Anticipation. How many of you remember the old Heinz ketchup commercial? Anticipation and and trying to get the ketchup out of the bottle. I don't know why they didn't ever do that. All you have to do is tap it on the neck and out it comes nice and slow instead of all over the plate and the person next to you. Sorry, just had to change that, chase that one there. Uh, a preconceived idea or opinion with regard to what will take place. Some phrases. Against expectation, beyond expectation, contrary to expectation, out of expectation, and etc. The state, definition three, the state or condition of expecting or mentally looking for something, the mental attitude of one who expects. And then the last one has an object in it, to it. It says that which is expected, the object of expectance, a thing expected or look forward to. Now, as we look through the, the Bible, we're going to find all of these shades brought into and really dealt with. And so let's just try to, to simplify this. We, uh, expectation has a time element involved. It means I don't have it now. And I am looking for it to come. I am waiting But uh, there is also a forecasting or a future uh, anticipation involved. There's a state of desire. I want this thing to happen. And then we have an object. So what we have here is we have 
something we can wait for. We have something that we can look for, and we have an object. We have something that it is not only anticipating, it is the object anticipated. How many of you have ever waited for a package to come? And I'm not, this is just something a little bit, uh, I found a 1682 Bible. And uh, it's, I'm checking it and going to see if we can't add that to our church's Bible collection. Very, if it comes in cheap. Uh, The price keeps going up. Right now it's only about $70 for a Bible printed in 1682. And uh, I, I think that's, Something that would be really neat to have. That is before all of the spelling and and errors and and, uh, things were brought forth. The Bible that we have was updated in the year 1769. And, And every once in a while you'll hear one of those Bible haters, they'll come up and say, well, that's not really a 1611, it's a 1769. And uh, no, it's really a 1611. That's why I want to try to get a 1682 so you can see that it's the same Bible. We actually have a facsimile copy of a 1611. Uh, The last one of those that sold was two and a half million dollars. And so I figure if I can take my book fund and put it toward getting a Bible that's less than a hundred years old from the original printing, that, that would be something that would be really neat to to look at and see and understand that it's the same Bible. It's an expectation. I hope I can get it. But I do understand. Probably won't. Because there's several other people that are uh, bidding and we'll just see where this thing goes. But if it goes very high, not going to do it. You see... We have an object, we have a time period, and we have some emotions here. If you have all three, you have an expectation. Amen? And so let's go to Psalm 62. The emphasis is on verse 5. My soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from him. Now this is a psalm of David. And David certainly had a lot of things going on. Let's read the entire psalm. It's only 12 verses. Truly my soul waiteth upon God. From him cometh my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. How long will ye imagine mischief against a man? Ye shall be slain, all of you. As a bowing wall shall ye be, and as a tottering fence. They only consult to cast him down from his excellency. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. Selah. My soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. 
Trust in Him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Surely men of low degree are vanity, and men of high degree are a lie. To be laid in the balance, they are altogether lighter than vanity. Trust not in oppressions, and become not vain in robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. God has spoken once, twice have I heard this, that power belongeth unto God. Also unto thee, O Lord, belongeth mercy. For thou renderest to every man according to his work. Now, this is David, and certainly uh, we're not going to take time to exposit the entire psalm here, but we can understand that David had some expectation. Just as a uh, young boy, he had, I love the picture, and I hope you can get that, he had seven older brothers, and they were big and and good-looking and strong and very masculine. It was uh, uh, when, when Samuel saw the eldest, he said, surely this is the Lord's anointed. And God said, don't look on the outward appearance. Now, don't turn your Bible inside out. Man can only look on the outward appearance. So we have to be careful about the outward appearance. Amen? Uh, Many people, I remember when I was a teenager, the big thing was, oh, you can't judge a man by the outward appearance. Oh, yeah, you can. You do every day, don't you? If you walk in a subway car and you see some guy huddled up in a bunch of blankets and start smelling a really bad smell, you go into another car, right? If you can, uh, you move away from that. And the whole thing is, we, we, the, earth, the worldly people do look on the outward. Don't forget that. It's important. But, those seven big men, and here is David, probably 13, 14 years old at this time. And Samuel, an old man, white flowing hair, He was probably, uh, well, not probably, we don't know uh, all of these things, but he had that robe and he reaches in where nobody can see and all those brothers are facing out. They're not looking in. What David and Samuel did, they were the only two that knew it. And he breaks that horn of oil and pours on his head and reaches down and said, God has chosen you to be the next king of Israel. Now, how many 13-year-olds could you trust with information like that? Hello? I mean, wow, I'm going to be the next king. You're dead. You see, David had some expectations, didn't he? When he went out on the battlefield... Facing Goliath, the giant, he had some expectations, didn't he? And yet, only a few years later, he may may have been 20 years old at this time, we don't know. He had been elevated to the king's son-in-law. He had been made the uh, honorary 
chief of staff of the armies of Israel, and then he had been demoted, and then he had been chased all through the mountains. I mean, what a father-in-law. I, I praise God. I had a really good father-in-law. I do have a really good father-in-law. We're uh, good friends, and we've always had a good relationship, but not so with David. And we don't know exactly when in David's life he wrote this. But look at verses 3 and 4. How long will ye imagine mischief against a man? Ye shall be slain, all of you, as a bowing wall shall ye be, and as a tottering fence. They only consult to cast him down from his excellency. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. You know, that almost sounds like when David was fleeing from Absalom, doesn't it? When they were taking devices, David's counselor, Ahithophel, the one, they said, that counseled as if you were talking to God Himself. He always had the right and the best answers. His own son, Absalom, was against him. And David said, how long are you going to try to destroy me? How long are you going to take your plots and your plans against a simple man? He said, my hope, my expectation, verse 5 is in God, in God alone. You know, if we're not careful, we will be influenced by the world in which we live. I wish I had a dollar for every person who said, but pastor, you don't understand. I just want a good life. And... It used to be, I would say, I understand that. But now, I, whoa, wait a minute. What are you accusing God of wanting to do to you? You see, the world has all these expectations. Where are our expectations? Where should the Christian's expectation be? What are we waiting for? Well, one of the things is we are waiting for Jesus to come back. Amen? I love that song. Coming again. Just like a waltz. You just feel like just walking across the room and, uh, and uh, all of those. We don't dance. Um, but... I mean, it's just one of those beautiful songs. And we expect Jesus to come again because the Bible tells us so. Amen? And we expect to eventually be shed of this fleshly body and all of its temptations and to be able to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what this uh, psalmist says here. And I love verse 9. Surely men of low degree are vanity. Now, that is true. Uh, your, uh, uh, what would you want to, how you would ever define this, but men of low degree, these are men without character, men who would uh, haunt the streets and, and hang out at the bars begging drinks and things like that. He said, men of low degree, they're vanity. They're, 
The word vanity simply means vain, nothing, empty. It's, it's a tragic story. But the next one is, men of high degree are a lie. You see, we live in a world full of big shots, do we not? Have you ever met a big shot? Somebody that thinks they are important. I'll tell you what, it is really, most of the time it just grates on my soul when I meet someone who thinks they're a big shot, especially a preacher. Because there are no big shots with God. There's only one big shot, and that's Jesus. Amen? If we want to use that terminology, he's not a big shot, he's God. We worship him, we, we, everything is about him, but I, I've met some people that really thought they were something, and yet the Bible tells us if you really think you're something, it's a lie. Because men of low degree are nothing, men of high degree are a lie, we're all sinners saved by grace, amen? He said, to be laid in the balance, they are altogether lighter than vanity. How many of you have ever been pushed around by a big shot? It's not very much fun now, is it? Most all of us have. Uh, we've all had experiences like this where someone thinks they're more important. They just need to cut us off in traffic or they're going to be first in line or we're not important. And, and listen, trust not in oppression and become not vain in robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. God hath spoken once, twice. Have I heard this? The power belongeth unto God. Aren't you glad God's still in control? Your expectations need to be in God. Why? Because God is the God of mercy. You know what the psalmist is saying here? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is an expectation of the Christian. Amen? We can come to God no matter what. The Bible's full of wrong expectations, and we need to watch and guard against them. Let me just read a few of them. Proverbs 10.28 says, The hope of the righteous shall be gladness, but the expectation of the wicked shall perish. You know, I stop and I think about that. How many of you remember global freezing from the 1970s? Uh, they taught that in the public schools. At least I remember that. I remember going home. And it was an April day and we were having an ice storm in Maryland. And I was almost in tears because the teacher told me that the sun was going to go out and the world was going to freeze. And, and, uh, and my parents gently reminded me that God was still in charge and there's nothing in the Bible about a global freeze. And now we're in global warming. And this was the warmest year on record. And the... Let me tell you something. 
If this is the warmest year on record, we have the highest heating bills. Uh, has anybody else noticed? It's been cold. Even by New York standards, we've been below average temperatures the whole time. And the thing that somebody pointed out a long time ago, why do they call Greenland Greenland when it's all covered with 130 feet of ice? Does anybody know the answer to that question? Because about 1,000 A.D., the Vikings lived there and farmed because there wasn't ice. Somewhere between 900 and 1,000 A.D., the people who are supposed to know these things, it was actually warmer then than it is today. We've actually been in a cooling cycle, and now it's starting to warm up again. Hey, don't let the expectations of the wicked make decisions for you. How many of you remember the last presidential election? I mean, there was no way, no way the man who won could win. How many of you remember that? How many of you glad it didn't work out that way? I mean, my hand's up. I'm glad that we got the man we got. Instead of the um, other candidate, I think I'll just leave it there. Um, But... I'm glad that the expectations, you know, of wicked people, the homosexual crowd was screaming for Hillary's election because she was going to further all of their goals. The communist crowd was just ecstatic that there was nobody in competition. I'm glad God still has a hand in things. Amen. And every wicked person that has ever come along If you have any doubts, just look up Paul Harvey's dumb criminal stories. I mean, it is hilarious. The dumb things that people do trying to do something wrong. If you worked half as hard to be honest as people do at being dishonest, you could be a millionaire. And uh, the, the Bible tells us that the... When, the wicked, when a wicked man dieth, his expectation shall perish. How many of you remember Adolf Hitler? He had expectations, did he not? And he probably went further than any person in modern history to realize his expectations of the eradication of the Jewish people as a people and the establishment of his own kingdom But he stuck a pistol in his mouth and pulled the trigger, killed himself, died the death of a coward, was buried in a bomb crater in Berlin. Don't believe the escape things. and It didn't happen. And what happened to all of his expectations? His number one henchman, Himmler, the day before Hitler committed suicide, had contacted the Allies and said that he would bring Hitler to them in a cage. And Hitler got word of it. And he actually cut an order before he killed himself, demoting Heinrich Himmler to a buck private. But within a month, 
Himmler committed suicide. All of these people, they think they own everything. But the expectations of the wicked, when, when they're dead, they're gone. But all of the apostles, including Paul, expected Jesus to come back in their lifetime, didn't they? We're almost 2,000 years down the road and we're still waiting. But our expectation is just as real and just as alive as theirs was in their day. Why? Are you getting this? We got a word. We got something we can trust. You see, Luke chapter 3 says, And the people were in expectation, and all men mused in their hearts of John whether he were the Christ or not. That's a false expectation, was it not? They were trying to figure out, John, here was something different that was happening and it must be the Christ. They were all wrong. Israel, how many times had they hoped in Egypt and in different places and how many different kingdoms? Let me just read you. It says, And they shall be afraid and ashamed of Ethiopia, their expectation, and of Egypt, their glory. And uh, verse 20, verse the next verse, And the inhabitant of this isle shall say in that day, Behold, such is our expectation, whether we flee for help to be delivered from the king of Assyria. How shall we escape? In Zechariah it says, Ascalon shall see it in fear. Gaza also shall see it and be very sorrowful in Ekron. For her expectation shall be ashamed. The king shall perish from Gaza, and Ascalon shall not be inhabited. You see, God is able to disappoint false expectations. And he is the only expectation that we can have. How about Acts chapter 12, when Peter was delivered out of the prison? How many of you remember that story? Here's, here's what Luke said. He said, And when Peter was come to himself, he woke up in the street. He said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. I mean, how could you be in a more hopeless position than Peter was in Acts chapter 12? Herod had just murdered James. He had arrested Peter. He had 16 soldiers guarding Peter in the main prison in Jerusalem. And the next day, Peter was going to die. And an angel shows up, takes Peter out of the jail. He wakes up. Oh, I'm not having a dream. This isn't a vision. I'm I'm actually breathing free air. Uh, What should I do now? And he realizes that God has delivered me from the expectation of wicked men. You know, we, we need to hold on to those things. God is able to do that. You see, we can wait for God's word to be fulfilled. Amen? We have, and you ought to have, some emotion connected to the promises in this book called the Bible. Amen? 
And, and we do have an object to our expectation. What is our expectation? Where do true... They come from the words of God Himself. I don't know about you, but every so often I listen to what's going on in the world and I get discouraged. Am I the only one that does that? It just looks like the bad guys are winning, doesn't it? Well, wait a minute. Let me read you a few verses. For the needy shall not always be forgotten. The expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. That's Psalm chapter 9, verse 18. For surely there is an end, and thine expectation shall not be cut off. That's Proverbs twenty-three, eighteen. So shall the knowledge of wisdom be unto thy soul when thou hast found it. Then there shall be a reward, and thy expectation shall not be cut off. That's Proverbs 24, 14. If you take time to read Jeremiah... Oh, let's go there. Jeremiah chapter 29. Let's take a few minutes and just go to this passage. It's a beautiful, beautiful passage. God tells Jeremiah, I'm not answering your prayers. I don't want you to pray. But, and let's just start here in in verse 8 of Jeremiah chapter 29. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, let not your prophets and your diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you, neither hearken to your dreams which ye cause to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely unto you in my name. I have not sent them, saith the Lord. For thus saith the Lord, that after seventy years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you, and ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart, and I will be found of you, saith the Lord. And I will turn away your captivity, and I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places whither I have driven you, saith the Lord. And I will bring you again into the place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. Isn't that an incredible story? God is telling the prophet, don't pray for people of Israel. Don't pray for the Jewish people. Now that's pretty harsh, isn't it? He says, I'm not going to answer your prayers for 70 years. That's a long time. But then he says, but once those 70 years have been accomplished, I'm going to bring you back into your land. I'm going to give you an expected end. And God did. Amen? Um, The man's name escapes me, but he claims to have done the math and calculated from the decree to rebuild Jerusalem to the day Jesus rode the donkey through the gates, or Robert Anderson was his name, that those 69 prophetic weeks have been fulfilled to the very day. 
Now, I don't claim to be the mathematician that uh, Sir Robert Anderson was, but I'm going to take him at his word because it's in total agreement with what the Bible says. And Jeremiah had to see, Jeremiah is the writer of the book of Lamentations, he had to see the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple destroyed. But God brought them back, amen? Now let's go to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Paul's writing, verse 20 says, According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now Paul is speaking to the Philippians. He's in jail. He does not know whether he's going to live or he's going to die. He said, this is my expectation. I don't know what's going to happen to me. I have no promises of tomorrow. He said, but my expectation is that whether I live or whether I die, God is going to use my life to glorify him. Do you think if you allowed that to be your expectation, if you were walking in the way of God close enough to live in that expectation as the Apostle Paul, would it change the way that adverse circumstances affect our thinking? I believe it would. Paul had been in prison at this time nearly four years. He had been lied about. He had been... Everything maligned, everything that a person could do, they had laid wait for him on several occasions trying to uh, ambush the Roman guard and kill him. And yet, Paul said, read the rest of the earlier part of the chapter, he said, these bonds that God has put me in have actually worked to the furtherance of the gospel. I've gotten to witness in places that I never would have had an opportunity any other way. I've even gotten to take the gospel message to the household of Caesar himself. Now that's pretty amazing stuff for a Jewish man, is it not? In those times of the Roman Empire. You see, we can have an expectation that if we will follow God and be obedient to Him, He will use our lives to get glory to His name. And can you think of any greater thing that could happen in your life than to be used by God to make other people think better of God? To glorify Him. Could there be any better thing that you could accomplish with your life than that? I challenge you, there isn't. And Paul said, I'm not going to worry about whether I'm going to die or whether I'm going to live. What I'm going to do is expect that Christ is going to use me 
to glorify His name. That's pretty great. Amen? You see, the problem with expectations, the greatest problem we have with expectations is the I in the middle, right? It's all about me. That's why marriages break up. That's why hatreds and enmities develop between human beings. You see, I really believe that this is part of the answer to those that verse that when Jesus says, except a man hate his, his uh, father and his mother and his wife and his children and follow me. You see, one of the problem is we expect other people, especially members of our own family, to do things that we would want them to do. Isn't that true? And if we could remove those expectations and just ask God to use my life to glorify Him, then I can walk into the situation not asking for anything, but able to give and bring the love of Jesus Christ into that situation. Unfortunately, sometimes that infuriates people more than just about anything. But that's okay if they get upset for the right reasons. You see, the expectation is not, you're going to help me, or I'll help you if you help me. The expectation is, God, will you use me to glorify your name? There's one more expectation, very quickly, and that's the expectation of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 10, it says, From henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. How many of you have ever met an avowed enemy of Jesus Christ? Tell you what, if you walk very far in this world, you're going to meet some. You're going to meet some people that hate everything about this Bible and anyone who's willing to carry it. And they'll hate you just because you name the name of Jesus. You know, our news media has tried to explain this whole Islamic thing by saying, well, it's just the poor people of, of Islam, they realize the United States is, has just hauled all of the world's riches and they want it. Could I challenge you that the 9-11 hijackers were better off than most of us in this auditorium today? They had more money to waste on on, spend on killing people and satisfying their pervient desires than you and I would ever spend in a lifetime. These were not poor beggars off the street. You don't teach beggars off the street how to fly airplanes. You have to be educated. These people had money. That's how they got over here, was spending money. And that's not the issue. The issue is they hate our freedom. Because we can have a choice. 
to either believe in the Lord Jesus Christ or to reject Him. You know, that's been the goal of all religion from day one, is to enslave mankind. That's why Cain murdered Abel. Is because Cain's pure testimony proved... I mean, Abel's pure testimony, excuse me, wow, that was a bad one. Uh, Cain was a pure testimony of evil, I guess we could say it that way. But he refused to acknowledge the truth. But here's what it says. It says Christ is expecting to his enemies become his footstool. You know what that says? I don't have to fight that battle. I don't have to confound the atheist. I don't have to go out there and argue with these people or take up armed resistance against those that are against Jesus Christ. He is going to destroy His enemies Himself. You know what the best part is? I'm going to be there to watch. How many of you remember the letters to the church, the church of Philadelphia, where we got the name for our church, Open Door? He says, I'm going to... uh, He said, I'll set before thee an open door. What else did he tell that church? He said, I'm going to bring those that are of the synagogue of Satan. I'm going to make them bow before your feet and admit that they didn't have the truth. Oh, I can't wait. I really can't. You see, all of these great teachers of lies fall on their face and say, Jesus is Lord, not me. I'll tell you what. How many people have promised to set mankind free? Does anybody remember Voltaire? The French philosopher? He said, people will destroy the Bible throw away their Bibles and read my books so they can be set free. Do we have anyone here that even has read Voltaire? How many of you read your Bibles this week? Uh, Guess what? Voltaire loses. Amen? You see, there's an expectation for the believer in Christ that is not going to be disappointed because it's based on an object, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? It's worth waiting for, my friend. It's worth suffering for. There's no problem with anticipating the good things that this book promises. Amen? And let's serve the Lord with gladness. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before You and we ask now that You would help us at this time. And Lord, that You would deal with our expectations that we would have them founded in You and Your Word In Jesus' name we pray. And if you need to slip out of your seat there and come up to the altar, we'll just take a few moments of silence here.